not winning 90% of your new business because you have some sort of incredible value. I'm going to take a bit of a different angle. You know, we've got a budget this big. I'm going to give it to you because you have a, a really killer plan. You give a Red Bull to a turtle, what do you expect? <laughs> I think that's a dead turtle. <laughs> so let's move on to... Uh, e break. Cheers. 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 Does your current premium finance company lock you into long-term agreements? That's because they don't want you talking to us. At IFS, we win your business the good old-fashioned way, with customer service. I know you don't always have to use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of the Digital Insurance Pint Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Tom Reed. And I'm joined by my colleagues, Jeff Roy, CEO of Excalibur Insurance, Steve Earl, CEO of Cheap Insurance, and Adam Mitchell, CEO of Mitchell & Whale. And today we are very pleased to have Lance Miller joining us from Surex Insurance, although Lance is currently in sunny Montana, uh, which we're all very jealous of. So hi, Lance. How's it going? Doing great. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Awesome. So we're going to get to know Lance a little bit here before we dive into some questions and some conversation with Lance. So I'm going to Turn the uh, the podium over to my uh, my buddy here, Jeff, who's going to get us into the speed round. So Jeff, over to you. Thanks, Tom. Uh, this is kind of cool doing a speed round with one of the fastest growing digital brokers in Canada. And uh, in true uh, Yellowstone fashion in Montana, sitting back on the ranch, this is great. So uh, we'll start things off with an easy one. Who is your favorite Canadian artist? of all time. So I, I know I'm going to take a lot of flack for this because, uh, and, and I don't know why, but I'm actually a huge Nickelback fan. Look at this nice. And uh, oh, I knew that. Nickelback is from Hannah, Alberta, not too far from where I'm from. They're from a town of 2,500 people, which is the same as McGrath and uh, where, we're, where we're headquartered at. So uh, they're my kindred uh, spirit band in Canada. Is you ever get invited to play any hockey in the basement? I think Chad Kruger's got his own rink in his house. He's probably got a lot of things in his house. <laughs> uh, your, yeah. favorite, your favorite your favorite type of music? Any uh, type of music you like the best? You rock guy or? You know what? I'm I'm a heavy metal guy back from high school. I grew up in the 80s, so uh, I, I'm a heavy metal guy. Awesome. That's, that's good. We'll get some 80s rockers here on the, on the podcast. So uh choice between beer or root beer what would you pick <laughs> i i'm a root beer guy so uh, i uh i i've watched enough of your guys's episodes i knew i could not come on here it's the pint podcast i needed a pint of something so i actually ran to uh lakeside montana lanny mcdonald owns a microbrewery in lakeside montana and in missoula montana and uh, they homebrew their own root beer. So uh, I even got the Tamarack glass. I, I ran and had the uh, pint filled for this podcast. <laughs> hey, as, as a Leaf fan, got to like Lanny McDonald and obviously yes. Flames fan too, right? So kind of co- cover both provinces. So, he played uh, for the Leafs, what? I thought he was. He did, he did, he did. He, didn't, he, did, <laughs> he didn't win a cup with the Leafs, so he didn't win a cup. So <laughs> awesome. And last question, when COVID is over, uh, where's the one place you want to travel to? You mean other than Ottawa to give someone hell? Um, 
Can you rent a charter for that? I'm going to join you. <laughs> All five of us could be there pretty quick. So I don't know. I, I, I we've been lucky because we've been down in Montana and Arizona, and so I, I haven't been cooped up as much as I probably should have been. Well, it's funny because all of us the last time we were probably all together was maybe in Nabiva down in Las Vegas. No, I think it was Toronto with Wawanisa. Oh, Wawanisa, okay, that, that could be it. So, yeah, about that. we Sorry. meet up quite a bit. Yeah, it'll be nice when this is over. So, Lance, maybe you can uh, give us your own background. How did you uh, become uh, part of Surex? Uh, you know, what is what is you know, for those people? If there's anybody who doesn't know what Surex is, give us a bit, you know, give us the uh, sixty second background on Lance and Surex. Sure. So, I I was in real estate actually before, and in two thousand and five, I bought my first insurance brokerage in McGrath, where our headquarters are. And that was right when the Bank Act review was going on back in 2005. So I I borrowed $900,000 to buy this brokerage. And then I I was hearing all this news that the banks were going to get into insurance. And in my small town, there was two banks, one on each side of me. And I thought, oh, my hell, (laughs) if they get in, I am sunk. And so, uh, yeah, I, I started dreaming up SureX Direct, which is the online delivery of insurance. And... coerced a guy I knew that uh, real great marketer, direct sales marketing in in the U.S., Matt Alston, my business partner, convinced him to sell his businesses in the U.S. and move to Canada and help me build out online insurance. And that was eight years ago. And now we're, uh, I, I think, if we're not the fastest, we're one of the fastest growing insurance brokerages in Canada. And we do it all online. We don't have anyone walk into our, our offices at all. Well, probably a good thing because I'm not exactly sure where McGrath is, but I know it's definitely not on the beaten path. It's definitely not on the beaten path, no. When when you bought the brokerage, how many staff were there and how many staff do you have on your team now? There was three when I started, um, three and myself, so four total. And uh, now I I think we're at about 163 or something was our last count. Lance, have you made a single acquisition? No, not not any. Everything was hang a shingle and policy by policy. Well done. That's pretty incredible. Where did Matt first play into this? So you started daydreaming. Did you get any traction and going or was he brought in right to the, the whiteboarding and planning table? I kind of know you guys both as Bert and Ernie. Like it's you—you you don't go one without the other. You guys play well together. It's true. Yeah. No, we. Uh, Matt was in right at the start. I—I I had it, you know, all up here of of what I thought needed to happen. Um, and Matt, I honestly to this day I don't know how Matt believed me because he had successful businesses in the state, and I sold him this dream of what I wanted to do in the insurance space, and he sold his businesses and moved moved to Canada and away we went right from the start. So from, he started interviewing people to build our tech. At one point we were going to Greece and then we were going to Siberia, Russia to get it built. And uh, I think we finally ended up getting it done in, in New York. Sorry, you actually went to Siberia? We, we, we were right ready to go. Siberia is actually Russia's Silicon Valley. I didn't know that, but that's where all their, 
their dev stuff is in Siberia. So you may run everybody through like your tech stack, like from three people, 2005, not knowing the industry to, I believe you built your own BMS, AMS, your entire system to hiring a data scientist to taking uh, analytics courses at Harvard Business School. Uh, there's quite a journey there from uh, somebody from a graph. Do you want to kind of walk us through some of your technical evolution, Lance? Yeah, I mean, it. honestly, Jeff, we, we kind of fell into it by accident, to be honest with you. I'd love to say we were super good technicians and had it all planned out and it went by plan. But, uh, you know, neither Matt or I are very technical. Um, I, I was more technical than Matt. I, I think I had to help him turn his computer on his first day. Like you know, he's got <laughs> no technical ability. And and funny thing is, is he the he's the one that runs all the tech side of our business now. So he's pretty good um, now. I think he's come oh, yeah. ways. Yeah, he he knows. I he's the one helping me now. So uh, it it it's funny how things change. But but I remember you two pounding the table about APIs, 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 and this feels like five more years ago. And and you had the easy insure guys yelling with you, and then you had me in the corner like googling API. What is API, and should I pile onto this? <laughs> you guys are way ahead of the curve. Well, I I remember Mark Rulo. It was that meeting because Mark was there as the uh, regional VP uh, at the time, and uh, he yeah we were pounding APIs. This is the way it's got to be, and and he was looking at me like, what the heck are you talking about? We had a good friend in Quebec, actually. I don't remember his name, but I don't know if you remember the Quebec broker that was in there. And he kind of knew a thing or two about APIs, too. So we finally yeah. got a little support and were able to push things forward a little bit. So you kind of stumbled upon the APIs. What was kind of that aha moment where you and Matt just said, wow, this is great. We can do this. And you had the vision in your head. When did it all start taking form? Yeah, I, you know, when we first started, our vision was we were going to spend $30,000 and build a killer website. And that was... Uh, that, that was the extent of the vision. So uh, we went out and we built this website and it cost way more than that. And uh, and we just thought we were going to be able to sit back and count the money. Like, who's not going to want to buy online? Like, this is a no-brainer. And, you know, several millions of dollars later, um, <laughs> the, the plan has evolved many, many times from, from those early days. <laughs> But yeah, when we first launched, you know, even with our, our cheap website and how we first started, um, we could tell there was a need for what we were doing and, and the, the market was ready for it. And so we just kept investing and kept investing. And, you know, once you start down that path, there's just no no limit on where you can put money and technology to grow things. So it sort of becomes addictive in the sense of, the more I spend, the more revenue I get. So well, and you can see the potential, right? That's you, right. You look and you say, know. "Oh, if I just spend a little more, I'm going to get all this other open up." And then you get there, and it's a and little my, more. My spread could increase because my spread can increase the more I get, and uh, maybe I'm I'm premature here on taking this journey in one way or another. But one of those things that's uh, contributed is aggregators. You know that uh, we've used aggregators a lot. We we've had good partnerships with with the aggregator firms, and uh, you know they I, they've been a big part of our success because that that is a you know it's one thing to know the insurance industry and to build the technology to do that, 
But online marketing is a whole different skill set that, you know, we didn't have out of the gate. And, and I would say we're still learning that. Like they are, they are by far better at it than SureX is today. Well, that's uh, their we only still job, use right? aggregators, but, uh, you know, we're starting to learn on our own and, and figure things out on our own. And our, our contract with one of our aggregator companies just came due and we had to uh, put in there that we couldn't bid on each other's terms anymore because we were bidding on theirs and they were bidding on ours. And so, you know, it, it, SureX is growing up enough that we're doing some of that on our own now, but uh, aggregators have worked for us. And so we've continued to use them as part of our strategy. Can you run us through some of those um, eye-opening moments? I mean, we've had a ton, we've shared a ton on this podcast where you're you're positive this is the case and you get up there and no, that's a piss off. That was an expensive lesson. We've been sure so many times that, oh, we, we've got the quoting nailed. There's no mismatches now. And then companies change something. And, and I mean, I, I've, I've thrown my hands up and said online quoting is never going to be done. It's, it's a continual evolution because uh, I don't think anyone ever masters that. So that that's a big one of those. Um, a big one, I think, as well for us has been the, the, the digital marketing side. Like there's been a few times that we've started and we've thought, okay, we've got the direct-to-consumer lead gen figured out. Uh, target moves. You know, and then COVID hits and, and then and something else happens or you know, another big direct enters the market and outbids everything. And so it's, I don't know, I, I've, I've determined now, I, I don't think there's ever anything that I know for sure that the market evolves too fast. Uh, I noticed you just done a rebrand with Insurex over the last year and uh, see some really good ads coming out and really people focused, you know, a digital broker, but you've really got a, a focus on your people. Maybe Talk about that to to our viewers. I think in our rebranding and going to our people, we've got to shine. And you know what? If you're if you're going to do that just with technology, I think it's going to fail. But I think if you can mix technology with the people, that's really I think our best chance for success on shifting the industry and helping people see the true value of it. Did you hear that virtual intelligence and on-hand VAs actually merge? That's right. I was talking to Michael Cruz and checking out what he has there with his Colombian workers. And I said to him, dude, what's up? You realize you're not a VA, right? He said, what do you mean? I said, you're a VE. Look it up on ChatGPT. I encourage you to do that too. He's got forward-facing VEs. VEs that can answer the phone and take questions 30 days in. You say yes to Michael. I want what you have. In 30 days, that's what he delivers. I said, Michael, this is unbelievable. We're strong in the front, but we're really strong in the back end. You provide the external VE for us. We provide the internal VE. I looked at him, I said, buddy, let's do this together. Let's, let's do this. And he looked at me and he put out his hand and like a good solid Cuban American, he said, Jason, I'm committed. Let's do it. And that's what we did. We flew to Columbia. We saw his operation and you need to see it too. Give us a little click at virtual Intel. That's with two L's. That's virtual I N T E L L dot com. Go check us out. See what we're doing. High quality VEs mixed with technology delivered right into your agency. And you don't have to do all the things that you don't like to do, like hiring, firing, recruiting, recreating, trying to find processes. Just 
There's so much stuff, I can't even say it right. That's right. Virtual Intel, cast certified. We've got the, the people piece. It's there. We've got advocacy. We've got choice. Is it the tech that's holding us back from actually accomplishing a decent customer experience? Like what's missing? You know, that. yeah, you're opening a can of worms for me on this one. I, I think what's missing is, <laughs> you know, yeah, you've done this once or twice, haven't you? I, I think what's missing, you know, one of the biggest frustrations I have is I've listened to carriers for 10 years talk about the need to digitize and, you know, what I fear is I see a lot of them saying, well, we we're doing, uh, um, what's, what's the big tech play that they're all going to, um, guidewire guidewire. That's our big solution. And I'm like, well, that that's great for you guys, but what the heck does that do for the customer? What the heck does that do for the broker? Like, I want to, I want to go punching bag for Steve and Lance here. Um, so I fully agree with you. So I want to state the Adam opinion, but now I'm going to I'm going to get on my debate team and play the other side. If you're if you're CEO of ABC successful insurance company um, and you got okay, a suite of five, six, ten, a dozen innovative brokers ready to tackle that solution, that call to action about innovating and, and rising to the new customer standards. What do you do when you look at the rest of the 90% of your distribution that is not going to invest in it, not going to get it, not going to pick it up? And I'm like, well, Lance, I don't care how cool or good you are. I'm not about to solve for you. So let, let me answer it this way. Think back 10 years when there used to be a travel agency on every corner. And that's where everybody went because... It was too complex of a product. It's hard to travel. You got to do connections. You got insurance. You got, right? I'm sure travel. I, I, in the early days when I used to go to a lot of meetings and I'd listen to brokers talk about digital insurance and they'd say, oh, it's never going to go there. The product's too complex. It's this, it's that. And I would think back to, well, I wonder what those travel agency owners used to say. Sounds very similar. And it's either adapt or die, right? Like, Today, there's travel agents, but they're specialized and that, you know, they'll either go in corporate travel or high adventure travel or and I think our industry is going to be faced with the same thing. Like, I'm hoping it's Surex, but it could be Mitchell and Way, it could be XGuy, it could be any other company that eventually figures this out. And it's not it's not so much online brokering anymore as changing the way distribution is done. And when that happens you know what, the insurance companies are going to have to pick and choose because someone's going to win this battle for the customer because customers aren't going to continue to do the business the way they've always done it. Can we win the battle if we can't can't supply a decent product? I think we can because I, I do believe the will of the insurance companies is there to do it. They just you know, the actuaries are still running the business and they still want you know, a million pieces of data. And, but, but I think at, from my perspective, when I talk to the leaders of the insurance company, the will to change is there. They just don't know what we want, what we need. And I think 
you know, we as a group got to go and say, look, this is what we need. That's what we've done with APIs, right? And it's work. You know, my view is if these if these early adopters of both sides start working together, they will start to pull ahead and they will, you know, effectively pull everybody else behind them. But to, you know, if we if we wait for all brokers or all carriers to get to the table, we're going to be waiting a long time. We got we got to we got to go with who's willing to go right now. It's it's more than just opening up the APIs based on how we do business today. We need to be building APIs on how business is going to be done ten years from now, and and that's what scares me is I don't think carriers are looking at it. So if if Lance reaches king of insurance status and and is is given a magic wand, where where do you first wave it on on what do you fix? I, I think where I would push the industry is say to my carriers, you know what, we're partners. Let's strengthen our contract with each other. Put the non-disclosures, the non- whatever you need to make it comfortable and open the kimono. Give, give me the data because you're asking me as a distributor of insurance to go out and distribute insurance and, and keeping me blinded on, on what the success is. You guys have all the tools. You know, that some of the biggest insurers in Canada, they, they've got data science teams of over 150 people and and they know it all. But how much of that do you and I find out? They've got all the tools in the back end to analyze us after the fact. We haven't got to that point where we're going to have a dialogue with the companies at that level. Unless you have you found somebody lands to have a dialogue at that level, let me know, because I've been beaten at the door for years. And most people, it, it gets awkward because I'm asking questions they don't understand. They don't have the stuff. And I'm not sure when I'm ever going to see it. Let, let me give you an example of this. And this is pretty much every one of our carriers. Um, some are a little less than others. So I go out to my carrier partners and I say, tell me what you want. Like, give me your ideal customer. Seems like it should be an easy question to answer, right? I, I, I've been at this two years and I have yet to know what a carrier truly wants. I, I get glimpses of it in different meetings, but I don't know what they want. They, they don't know what they want. I, I think this, they some get of glimpses of what they don't want. I think they know what they want, Steve, but they're so damn scared to share it because they think that's their that that's their competitive advantage, right? Like I don't want I don't want anyone to know what my ideal customer looks like because the regulator's gonna get mad at me or my competitor might find out. And you know, that's no way to have a partnership. You you gotta have trust and faith and transparency in order to really accomplish something amazing. So if you are buying leads, how do you if you don't know what they want and they won't tell you what they want, and you're buying leads from somebody who's they're not identifying what's acceptable to you if you're buying that, that that makes it even more. I mean it's you're wasting a lot of money on stuff that may or may not be wanted. Well, and that's why we've launched our own data science team, right? That's why we're doing our own analysis. Okay, so let me take you on a little journey here, Lutz. Not every broker can hire a data scientist. And any broker can do it. You, you guys forget. My brokerage started in McGrath, Alberta with 2,500 people. I didn't walk in with a bunch of money or have a big backer. Anyone can do this if they, if they have the will to do it. You mean get to the size where you can get a data scientist or can afford one or hire one tomorrow, even though it, you just bought a brokerage that has 
six people. Yeah, the, the data scientists, I mean, there's a few things that have to happen beforehand. Yet You have to have a good data structure. You have to have that stuff stored properly so your data sciences, scientists can access it. Um, so, you know, to, to really get to where, if, if I wasn't where I was now and knowing what I know now, I would be telling brokerages, look, get, get a, get a great data guy and figure out how to store all your data properly. So it's easily accessible. You've got it all in a, in a relational database. Once you've got that and and you can maintain that then yeah, start getting your data scientists because data scientists are actually, I, I think they're a little better than actuaries. There's a whole data and technical infrastructure that has to be there for the data science person to actually do their analysis, right? Because if your guy walked into Jeff's office today and said, show me your data, he'd be like, here's my TAM DMS and the guy, and the data science guy would quit. Um, but no, no offense, Jeff. You know, at what point do you? At what data point is a lot say, better well, than that, but I'm not. I'm not going to go there. I, got a lot, I, I can't believe data has been said this many times, and and Jeff hasn't triggered on on data muling or like a aggressive diatribe on on something. I haven't got. I'm just letting you guys talk. I'm just listening. I'm a fly, this is the new I'm a fly on the wall. I'm going new age. I'm going new age. It's a tall. The tall chef beer has got me mellowed, right? Serenity and, uh, now. Serenity now. What's a data scientist cost? A good one. No. Um. <laughs> I prefer mediocre teammates. Do you want the good heart? Do you want the good heart surgeon and live, or do you want the guy, that, the guy that Just might average. maybe get you through? We're looking for the AstraZeneca of uh, yeah. data scientists. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, I would say you can get a good start if if you get it like a junior or someone out of college, you know, with a little bit of experience. You could probably start at 120 to 150, and it goes up from there. Well, Steve, Steve's mentally laying himself off. He's like, yeah, I could make some room. I could make some cuts. No, I was just thinking I'd go back to school. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's unpack it a little bit because it, it kind of makes sense to us, but I, I feel like an outsider watching this is going to feel like we're talking in code. So our, our good buddy Sharif just sold his broker channel operations to double down on the tech side and for a good few years now has had a Cezio EDI parser that takes the daily download that normally feeds proprietary just into your BMS and unpacks a second copy of it into a database that you can then action. And so the, the super highlights here are that two key impressive brokers are now using that service and pretty keen on wherever the roadmap's going. Because once you get the control of the data, then every other system that you desire, you want to trigger up this MailChimp or this action, that, or survey, whatever. Um, analyze it even. Pay a data scientist to dig into it. You That's the source of where you can start getting it. You don't care about the data per se. Sharif's telling you these three policies are flight risks. These 27, eh, you can ignore them. They're cool. And, and customers are demanding it, right? Like we're not doing this just because we got money to spend and no place to put it, right? It, customers are demanding change. They're demanding things to be delivered better. Lance, let me, uh, let me ask a question here. So I know, and I'm going to take a page out of Steve's book because I know he's been doing some research around this, but um, you know, one of the things that people look at, whether you're an association, CEO, or what have you, is the uh, market share uh, that the broker channel has. Right, and from 2000-ish to 2015 or so, went down about a point a year. I'm talking personal insurance now, 
uh, primarily, and it sort of stabilized for a while, and then the last year or two, and Steve can correct if I'm wrong here, but last year or two, it's gone down again, right? So it was going down, 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 flat, and then down again the last year or two. So, like, how do you think, how, do, how, do, how does that get changed, right? It, it, how does that, like, is it, like, I hear what you're doing, that's great. You know, you're, um, you know, there's 56, 60 billion dollars of premium insurance for all of Canada, right? By yourself, you're not you're not going to change that number. You might you might influence it somewhat, but you're not going to change it dramatically. You know, every, if everybody, if all of you guys doubled your business tomorrow, you're not going to have an impact on that. How how do how does the broker channel at large reverse that trend? You know, that's again, I think it goes back to brokers are they don't want to change. They want to. They want to yell from the mountaintops how important they are in the process. And you know what? They're not that damn important anymore. And so you're going to have to change. What's reality is going to happen is you're going to have one, two, three, half a dozen that figure it out and they're going to dominate the market and you'll see them starting to take share away from even the directs. We, we get like 30% of our business comes back out of the direct channel. For the we'll call it the average broker, even if they want to, is are BMS vendors holding them back? Is the technology holding them back from, from doing that sort of thing? I think our success has been our strategy that we just look and say, I don't really care if it's power brokers problem or TAM's problem or Intax problem. Like it, it doesn't matter to me. It's the reality. So how do we work within it? And we push forward. And just a quick poll of uh, Steve, Adam, and Jeff and see if you guys got any, any more stuff you want to draw out of Lance's brain here. Right? No, well, I don't want to ask any more questions because I'm afraid he disagreed with me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to give Lance the chance to wrap it up here, which at which point he can disagree with everything Steve has ever said his entire life. But I'll leave it up to you, Lance. Uh, but first, uh, huge shout out to IFS Premium Finance, our title sponsor, and to uh, the crew group, and to Garrisons, and uh, mini shout out to the brewery that um, Lana McDonald has out in Montana, wherever that is, and uh, and a big shout out to our uh, charity partner, WIC, as well. And um, so Lance, I'm gonna get you, gonna give you however long you need, 30 seconds, 60 seconds, however long you need, Kind of sum it all up. Give us your uh, give us your closing thoughts here. Well, first off, I, I just want to thank you guys for inviting me because uh, it, these these everyone around the table here are, are people that I've known for a long time that I have a lot of respect for. We've been in several meetings together, and we haven't always agreed on everything. And and I love that we can have those meetings, and you know what, throw it out there and and move forward. So. The fact that you guys would see me worthy to be on here, I, uh, I I'm take that as a huge compliment, and so thank you. Um, you know, I, I think closing comments to me is, you know, really going back to, to what's already been said is every other industry has been disrupted. Ours is ripe for it. So we, we need to get together. We need to strengthen that partnership and figure out how to do things and, and quit letting old insurance thinking dominate the future. Is retention important to your brokerage? Of course it is. That's why at IFS, we have a cancellation prevention process. Want more details? Give us a call 
I know you don't always use a premium finance company, but when you do, you should use IFS. Cheers.